When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833 833- 995 gold that's 833-995-GOLD, 833-995-G-O-L-D. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel the to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel the to Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. What a fabulous job they did. What a wonderful job they did. Greetings, my friends. It's great to have you with us. It's Rush Limbaugh, and it is Friday. Live from the Southern Command in sunny South Florida, it's Open Line Friday. Open Line Friday means that you can ask me anything. doesn't have to be related to COVID-19 coronavirus. It doesn't have to be related to anything to do with that. It could be questions or comments about anything. It's a purpose of Open Line Friday. The original reason... The original purpose behind Open Line Friday was to take the program beyond where I take it by allowing you to talk about things that maybe I hadn't brought up. You don't have to do that, but I mean, it's the option. We don't permit this Monday through Thursday. Monday through Thursday, I maintain benevolent dictatorial control over the program and the callers on Friday. I take a gigantic career risk by surrendering that benevolent dictatorial control, autocratic control, and giving you more say-so over the programming than ever and any other time during the week. The phone number is 800-282-2882. And the email address, ilrushbo at eibnet.us. So Catherine and I were chatting about the daily brief yesterday after the president announced the the phased reopening plan for the country 
And it has to happen. Folks, there is no delaying this any further. And you see... All over the country now, people are, are are revolting against certain state governors who want to maintain lockdown. It can't go on. This, this forced shutdown, the forced ruination of the United States economy must end. And I, I can't tell you, I was longing... For that day yesterday, I have been longing for the White House briefing to be what it was yesterday for a month. I cannot describe for you. I've tried during the course of every day's busy broadcast. I have tried to convey my concern and fear for you, for all of us, for for everybody I mean, I've I've been there. I, I I don't know how many of the people who are among our experts setting policy. I don't know how many of them have been broke. I don't know how many of them have been where twenty two million Americans are without a job, without any income, and unemployment compensation that just will not get it done. I don't know how many. There may be some. I, I'm sure that the law of averages would dictate some have been there. But I don't know how many. And I get the impression from Trump has been there, by the way. Trump has been at the edge of the cliff looking over it. His survival techniques are a fascinating story and why they're not going to damage him ultimately with every effort they're going to mount on this. But you look at some of these people. I don't want to mention any names. Names are not the important thing here. It's. The ability to relate, the ability to have some kind of empathy. And while I understand the nature of leadership and I understand the level of the the nature of expertise uh, and intelligence, it simply is better if there are people in the policymaking sphere who've been there, who are or have faced similar circumstances, far better than people who are not feeling threatened financially by any of this. And I think that way too many people in some positions of authority and power really don't face dire economic circumstances like an increasing number of the American people do. It worries me. Uh, As I say, uh, I've been there, and it's, it's scary to me. Just the memories of being in that circumstance, and it was a number of different times for me, is scary to remember it. But it but enables me to understand what people are going through and how it cannot go on. It simply can't. There may be great risk in reopening the country in phases. There may be great risk in sending people back out to start working even under the guidelines. There are risks that have to be taken. They are certainly no different than risks the American people have taken throughout our history. We had to get involved in World War II once we were attacked by the Japanese. We had to get involved in World War I, despite we didn't want it. We had to get involved in order to defend and protect ourselves 
These were risks that we tried to avoid taking for the longest time, but we had to get involved. We had to take risks after 9-11. We had to take a num- we've had to take risks our entire history as a nation. Taking risks, entrepreneurism, fearlessness, it's a hallmark of the American identity and of the American culture. And this shutdown and hunkering down in total fear is not a hallmark of American history or of American culture. Now, very quickly, here are the... Here are the guidelines that were announced yesterday. And I'm going to have some comments in that briefing because it was brilliant. Trump, even before it began, was watching the Fox News Channel. And John Roberts, as their White House correspondent, said the magic words. Dr. Fauci and the Scarf Queen have signed off on the guidelines. Okay, this the, the leadership that President Trump has exhibited, the leadership that he has engaged in, that he commanded, is worthy of being noted. People are so busy occupying themselves with their own problems that it may not, you may not have time, you may not have the inclination to start analyzing how anybody else is doing, uh, either living their lives or doing their jobs or what have you. But I, I want to make a point about it because it's phenomenal. Do you realize, Mr. Snurdly and everybody, do you re- realize how, whatever length of time this, this task force has been up and running, there has not been one subversive leak. Not one. Not a single subversive leak. Not a single act or leak of sabotage. That's phenomenal. Think of all of the opportunities people on this task force had. Think there's a sympathetic media waiting out there, beating down the windows, beating down the doors, begging anybody, a staff member, an actual member of the task force, please, please, we know things can't be going this well. We know some of you have to think Trump's an idiot. Just tell us. Just tell us. We promise you anonymity. The media trying to get leaks. The media trying, desperately trying for any negative story. Not one. That is leadership. Okay, more on that in a second. Here are the guidelines on reopening the economy. And essentially, Trump's plan is three phases. And each phase or every step requires a decline in cases for two previous weeks before the next phase can be implemented. Phase one allows certain businesses such as gymnasiums, uh, gyms, uh, workout centers, uh, health and recreation centers to reopen if social distancing is possible. And, of course, it is. You limit the number of people in the gym. You limit the number of people at each station in the gym. Hey, Russia, it sounds like you know about gyms. Oh, I know about them. That's why I don't go there. But I know all about them. Gyms were a form of punishment for me when I was growing up, like cutting the grass. I know all about this stuff. But there'd be plenty of ways to load people into gyms 
and have the six feet or even more space between people as they wait in line. And you get in there, you disinfect the equipment after uh, after every patient uh, person uses whatever the equipment is. And you go phase two. Phase two will allow screwals to reopen and large venues and restaurants and bars to open with social distancing in place. Bars are specifically mentioned as places that will not be permitted to be open at the outset in phase one. Phase three allows... Uh, large venues, bars, and restaurants to expand to their full capacity. And it is thought that it's going to take some time to get to phase three, but they are specified. There's a plan. There's a program in place with clear lines and steps about how we move to each phase. It allows the Trump plan, the well, the task force plan, allows employers to resume unrestricted staffing in the workplace, phase three. So again, the first phase after two weeks of the decline in cases. You're going to have two weeks where we've had a decline in cases, not deaths, but cases. Urges existing measures to remain in place while allowing certain businesses and gyms to reopen if social distancing is possible, which it is. Second phase, states and regions that have twice satisfied the initial criteria... That would be after four weeks of declines in cases. Urges all vulnerable individuals to shelter in place. Encourages others to exercise social distancing in public. Non-essential travel can resume in phase two. Scruels can reopen. Large venues, gyms and bars can operate with social distancing steps in place. And again, the third phase... Recommended only for states that have shown no signs of a spike in cases after restrictions are lifted. And this would be essentially after six weeks of a decline in cases. Allows public interactions and visits to nursing homes to resume. Let's bars and restaurants expand to full capacity. The third phase still encourages people to socially distance when possible. Limit their time in large. In other words... Continue to behave as you have been trained, as you've been taught here, despite, like, wear a mask, keep your distance, even when we get back to uh, near full capacity, page three, uh, phase three. And then all of this would eventually go by the wayside, should there ever become a vaccine. Uh, prior to that, massive upscale testing will go a long way to facilitating the increase in speed of adaptation of each of these phases. Pelosi issued a press release on all this saying the guidelines are too vague, they're inconsistent, and the plan risks further death and economic disaster. The media and the Democrats are just waiting, predicted yesterday, it's going to be this and worse, just waiting for any negative news after phase one begins, and they're going to dump all of it on Trump, which is why it was crucially important that everybody on the task force sign off on these guidelines. These are not Donald Trump, the autocrat, writing his own guidelines and forcing the members of the task force to agree. It's the result of the task force chaired by Vice President Pence.
meeting, discussing, and eventually arriving at a consensus. You can have a consensus in this task force. So the leadership here, where Catherine uh, and I were talking about, it's really impressive. I think the president has done just a marvelous job through all of this. He has navigated through a mess that he never anticipated, that nobody could have ever seen coming. This is why... You know, when people want to talk about polling data months and months out, I always say it's irrelevant. You can't predict things in politics. The, 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 the unexpected, something that nobody knows is going to happen, going to blow it all up. The classic example is this, the coronavirus. This team, this task force, despite every effort to make it appear ununified, and at odds with each other. I mean, how many times did the media try to get Dr. Fauci to dump on Trump? How many times did they get the scarf queen to answer a trick question, the answer to which would have been, yeah, this guy's a blittering idiot, and I can't believe I have to stand up here on the same stage. How many times did they try to trick Dr. Fauci, and not even trick? How many times did they go, Dr. How many times did they throw Dr. Fauci a softball? All he would have had to do was say, yes, this guy's everything you think he is. He's, a, he's, a, he's an absolute embarrassing idiot. Not once did the scarf queen order Dr. Fauci go there. There was no breaking in the ranks. There was not one subversive leak throughout and still has him. And the task force is still in existence. I mean, they're still working and still meeting. I think what we've seen here is exceptional. Exceptional leadership. No doubt there has been incredible... um, Massive amounts of negotiation behind the scenes. What with all the CEOs that Trump brought in? What with all the private sector people that the president needed to retool to make ventilators and masks and so forth? Imagine the things that we didn't see. And yet look at how it all turned out. An example yesterday, Trump has the truckers. FedEx and UPS has them up there at the White House. Thanking them, praising them. These are people... In many cases, some union people probably inclined to vote Democrat, but there they were. Throughout all of this, not only did Drs. Fauci and Burks not take the bait whenever they were given a chance to insult Trump. Trump never diminished anybody. Trump never insulted anybody his team. Trump never made anybody say, well, if they're that bad, why do you have them on the team? He was nothing but respectful of everybody on his team. He stood behind all of them. He was happy to share the stage with any and all of them. He did not tweet when things weren't going well that somebody was a buffoon and made a mistake. He acted as real leaders do. He stood behind the American people. He made it clear that everything going on was for the benefit of the American people, all the while, he was taking just incredible incoming fire from critics, the Democrats, the media, and he held the line. 
I got to take a break. I'm up against it on time. Much more as we're just getting started. Hang in, folks. We'll be right back. Here we have the official theme song for Tinder. One night at Bangkok. It's Murray Head, the Trinidad singer's great thing. Well, not the Trinidad singer, just Murray Head on his own. Folks, there's something else that happened yesterday, and I was so hoping for this. I did not officially predict it. But I know the power of suggestion, and I know the power of real optimism, not fake or phony optimism. And I noticed something happened the minute that task force briefing ended yesterday with the president announcing the guidelines under which we reopen the country and the itinerant uh, attitude that he had about it. We got to do it. We're going to come back. We're going to come back better than ever. We're going to come back stronger than ever. This is the kind of thing American people need to hear. You know what happened? Once that started being discussed, jump-starting the economy Everybody became all in with it. Everybody started having their own ideas. Yeah, we can do this. No matter where I watched on cable news, I'm seeing all kinds of people go from the day before. No, I don't think we reopen. I could maybe two sides. I get the task force briefing, describe how we're going to do it. Now, everybody's got their own ideas. Everybody revved and ready for it. Moving forward at a good rate to fascinate exactly what I was hoping would happen. More and more people signing on to the concept of reopening. It was good. Greetings and welcome back. Rush Limbaugh executing assigned host duties flawlessly as happens each and every day. Practicing the art of radio broadcasting at the pinnacle. And of course this is an art. Broadcasting is its own art. Radio broadcasting a specialized art. And I am the number one practitioner, number one artiste. Uh, telephone number, open line Friday, 800-282-2882. Email address, lrushbow at eibnet.us. Okay, some things coming up on the program today, just to let you know. There are two different pieces, columns, articles, that I wish to share with you today to show you the contrast in attitude and apprehension that exists among Trump supporters or better stated supporters of America, supporters of the American economy, people who understand and realize that we have to open it. That this this whole notion of, you know, the, the idea of flattening the curve. There's a couple of stories. We didn't flatten the curve nearly as much as we need to flatten the curve. It's not nearly... Flattening the curve was not a solution to anything other than preventing overrun hospitals. And there weren't any overrun hospitals. There weren't even overrun hospitals in New York. The hospital beds that were built for Andrew Cuomo were not necessary. didn't use them. The ventilators that he demanded end up getting more than he needed. The crisis, as measured by those metrics, never met the apocalyptic forecasts. And so the, the, the circumstances under which we have been told we got to flatten the curve, flatten the curve, all that was ever going to do was prolong what? Not the suffering. It was not going to eliminate. It was not going to speed up a reduction in cases. It was not going to do that. It was not going to reduce the number of people who died. The only reason for flattening the curve, i.e. social distancing and keeping you home, the only reason for that 
was to see to it that fewer people got sick right now so that they would not overwhelm the hospital system. The hospital system wasn't overwhelmed. It never came close to being overwhelmed nationwide. And it really, in New York State, in New York City, there were, with, with, with just a couple of outlier examples, not even there was it stressed to the degree that we were told possible. So the bending the curve, flattening the curve, yeah, it's great for people that want to keep you at home and theoretically limit the spread. But all we're doing is delaying the spread of the disease by keeping people at home. It's if you if you look at and try to define normal behavior, staying at home all day and not going to work and losing your job and not having money, that's what's not normal. And that thus cannot be sustained. Getting up, going to work, earning a living, advancing your career, doing that, those being out and about and living life is what is normal. And so the request has always been, in, in the name of flattening the curve, for everybody to live abnormally, and it cannot be sustained. People aren't going to do it. And you see now there are revolts, most of them in Democrat states, against Democrat governors who are getting a little taste of their autocratic power, and they're tightening down on everything. And these protests, thank goodness for them. It shows that America is still alive and well. The America that wants to work. The America that wants to be productive. The America that's willing to take risk and adapt is alive and well. Now these two pieces that eventually I'm going to share excerpts. One's by Kimberly Strassel at the Wall Street Journal. And the... uh, Headline to her piece, moving the shutdown goalposts. Liberals try to set Trump up to take the blame for any further coronavirus deaths. Now, her piece features many points that we have been forecasting here all week, that whatever bad news there is after the reopening happens, including COVID-19 death, you know damn well they're going to blame it on Trump. He knows they're going to blame it on him. The first death is going to be a medal winner. The media is going to treat them as though they have, well, you can, you can, you can imagine the coverage is going to happen. She thinks her piece, her piece is devoted to how the Democrats are laying a trap for Trump and that Trump had better manage expectations. He better not fall into this trap. He better tell people it's going to be slow going. He better stop this business that we're going to come back fast and stronger than ever. He better not do that because the Democrats are laying a trap. And I know this point of view is something many of you share. As lifelong Republicans, you are ready to be betrayed. You're ready for your leaders to be outsmarted. It happens seemingly every time you elect somebody you really like. And this is a continuation of that belief that Trump he, he better be on the lookout. The Democrats are setting a trap. So I think the truth is that Trump has managed a massively successful operation. I just got through saying how masterful I think this is. I it is it is it been a brilliantly conceived strategy this task force the daily brief the progress they've made it has totally achieved its goals and the democrats know that 
They're the ones that have to redefine the goalposts. They're the ones that have to move. They're the ones that have to make it. Trump doesn't have to. So I think Ms. Drossel's piece, while worthwhile and useful, is, uh, well, for my tastes, and I may I may be missing her point, but it's it's a little too potentially fatalistic. I don't think she is, but she's warning of the things that go wrong. The other piece is by somebody equally as pro-American, equally as pro-American economy, somebody who literally admires Donald Trump, and that's Conrad Black from Canada. And his piece is all about how Trump is running rings around his opposition. The political elite plays its last card. Joe Biden is just a muddled amalgam of 40 years at the public trough, an arthritic wheel horse in a machine that's broken down. Conrad Black doesn't think there's any way the Democrats can outsmart Trump. He doesn't think there's any way the Democrats are going to beat Trump. He doesn't think with Biden or whoever that the Democrat, he doesn't believe in the formidable nature of the Democrats. He thinks they have been reduced to embarrassingly shallow and shoddy tactics that for once average Americans who don't pay regular attention to the news and stuff can finally see. He thinks they're imploding. So these two pieces, one uber positive, one over, and Conrad always is. Versus one that's very cautiously optimistic. Very, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. A lot could still go wrong. Trump could still be outmaneuvered. Da, 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 da. I just want to share these two with you before the program ends today. Plus, we'll be, uh, we'll be throwing your phone calls in the mix. And I'll tell you what else is going to happen. These revolts out there on the part of American people, they're happening in Michigan. They're, they're happening in states run by Democrats. Do you realize the president said yesterday some states could reopen tomorrow if they want, meaning today? Trump said yesterday at the briefing, 29 states that are in good shape, including rural states like Montana, Wyoming, and North Dakota, who already meet the requirements to reopen. In fact, there are 29 states with very few cases of coronavirus. There are a lot of states who, if they are inclined to do so, can open today by virtue of presidential proclamation. Now, they're still going to have to demonstrate the requirements of the guidelines. Do you know 24%, this may surprise you, it may not, 24% of the counties in the United States have no coronavirus, coronavirus cases at all. 24 counties, 29 states with very few cases and a lot of rural states that are capable of reopening. Rallies to reopen the economy spread across the fruited plain as officials urge caution to prevent coronavirus resurgence. The lockdown is loosening whether government likes it or not. This is a piece by David Marcus at The Federalist. Byron York asks a good question here via Twitter. He 
says some people are pointing to Germany as a model of dealing with the virus. Germany will begin to reopen next week. Here in America, 35 plus states have lower case per million rates than Germany. Hey, Germany's going to reopen next week. I mean, fully and totally. Around 30 states have lower death per million rates than Germany. So Germany, as a model of dealing with the virus, is going to reopen next week. They're going to begin to reopen. 35 states have a lower case per million rate than Germany. 30 have a lower death per million rate. Somebody ought to slip that question under Biden's door. Why don't the Democrats want to reopen? Why don't why don't why don't you why don't you Democrats want to reopen states after stellar responses to the why do, why don't you want to reopen? Why do you want to continue with crushing job losses all across the country when the initial goals have been reached here? The vast majority of hospitals have not been overrun, disaster averted. Why wait? Why? Somebody needs to ask the press, somebody needs to ask the Democrats, why do you, and I, you know, their answer is going to, we can't afford a single death. We don't have a vaccine. We don't have testing. Not the question. Why do you want to keep losing jobs? Why do you want the unemployment rate to keep skyrocketing? Why do you want the self-inflicted damage to the United States economy to continue? Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to get started on the phones because this is Open Line Friday. Hang on. It's Open Line Friday. Rush Limbaugh and the EIB Network. As usual, half my brain tied behind my back. And that just to make it fair for everybody. Here's uh, David San Diego as we start on the phones. Great to have you, sir. Hello. Hi there, Rush. Mega diddles. Thank you. First time caller. Hey, my question to you was, you know how Donald Trump's already announced to reopen the country, let's get this going. And he put it up to each individual governor of each state, you know, when to get started. And, you know, being that all these, most of these governors are all Democrats, is this a way for him to say, look, I, I'm ready to go, but you guys are the ones that don't want to start it up? Kind of like putting it on them, like, you know, I mean, you know what I mean, what I'm trying to say? Are you asking me if I think there's something political in Trump's scheming here so that the, he's, he's leaving it up to the Democrats, leaving it up to the governors? Many of the governors happen to be Democrats. They don't want to open up because they don't want to make Trump look good. And so they're going to be harming themselves by keeping their state shut down. And that's Trump's objective. Is that your theory? You know, not necessarily subjective, but kind of like saying, look, I, I – I started, I threw the first pitch, you know, where's everybody else? Kind of, you know, I, I guess so. I guess it is, you know, clear his name, like saying, I'm, I'm ready to go, you're not. You, okay, so you think Trump is, is pardon for passing the buck? He's trying to clear his name. He's trying to put the onus on these guys to do it. And if they don't do it, it's not Trump's fault? Yeah, that's what I think. Because, okay, you know, it's, it's, look, I, underst I, I, I understand that. And I understand that many of you are thinking along those lines because you've been trained by me. You've been trained by me to see the intricate political possibilities, the chicanery and the deceit employed by Democrats. But I'm going to tell you in this, 
I think Donald Trump has one objective. Make America great again. I think Donald Trump has one objective. Get this country moving again. I think he wants everybody back to work as quickly as possible. I think he wants these governors to do the right thing. That having been said, he knows he's not an idiot. He knows that the Democrats oppose him on all of this. So the the if if your scenario happens, I can see where Trump would understand it, but I don't think that's his objective in putting the onus on the governors. He believes in local politics, knowing and having a better handle on local situations than they in Washington have. He's not an autocrat. He's not a dictator. And, to, you know, to the, to the extent that some Democrat governors are going to fight him and oppose this, he knows it. And to the extent that that may end up harming them politically, fine. I don't think that's why he's putting the onus on the governors. It may be a fine line, and I could be dead wrong. Trump could have turned into the biggest political animal in Washington, D.C. in the last three years. But I think his objective here is the economy. I think the objective here is the American people. I think his objective, I don't think, he, I don't think he's going to rejoice in states doing well except those run by Democrat governors. He'll have fun with it. I mean, he's tweeting some stuff about Andrew Cuomo. He says, grow up, Andrew. Stop talking about your mother. Stop complaining about stuff and get to work. I'm paraphrasing the tweet, but he's had some really caustic things. Well, Cuomo did spend 10 minutes today, maybe longer. It got some, even Fox bumped out of it, talking about his mother and how they're trying to keep her safe and how he's been a good son and how he's learned to be an even better son and how he he cares more about his mother today than he has in many, many. It was kind of strange in a way. It's stuff that you and I, I, I don't know, were you in your 70s before you discovered you loved your mother a whole lot? So I, I yeah, it, it's, it's I'll, I'll, I'll get the... Uh, I'll get the exact tweet and save it. But let me put it to you this way. Let the competition begin. Let the red state versus blue state economy competition begin. Barack Obama led the most anemic economic recovery post-recession in our nation's history. Trump led the most impressive surge. Now we're going to see which states perform better and which perform worse. This could be a a really side-by-side A-B comparison. You're going to have many Democrat governors stay shut down, locked down like this. This batty governor in Michigan is really a sight to behold. And meanwhile, other states are going to reopen, and we will see. We'll just keep a sharp eye. Got to take another brief time out. Hang on. We'll be back before you know it. This is all going to come together, folks. You watch. Optimism is infectious. I also want to take you. Do you remember the CDC projections from March 13th? You don't. There's no way you could. But wait till you hear what they were. Right, right, right. I know there's some governors who are pushing back on Trump's guidelines to reopen the economy. Some governors are not pushing back. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen here. Because I saw it, I noticed it yesterday. Once we change the subject at the briefing 
from ventilators and uh, N95 masks to supply chain to hospitals. So once we change, I was longing for that briefing yesterday. I was, I've was i been longing for it for a month. Here, hit the jingle so I can finish it. Live from the Southern Command in sunny South Florida, it's Open Line Friday. Right, 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 right. That's right. Whatever you want to talk about, get in line. 800-282-2882. I was longing for this yesterday because I needed, personally, I needed to change a subject. I think everybody needed to change a subject. We needed to start talking about action. We needed to start talking about getting back to work. We needed to start about Talk about reopening the economy. The most abnormal thing in the world is to have the U.S. economy shut down to the tune of losing. I mean, we took a $22 trillion economy, and inside of four weeks, we put 22 million people out of work. I, it, 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 you talk about abnormal, and it was running the risk the longer it went on. Shutting down the economy, having people stay at home, have cities be ghost towns, that was running the risk of becoming the new normal. And my friends, there's an entire political party, political apparatus out there that wanted that to become the new normal. Believe you me, there are people who wanted the American economy to be one where you stay home, the government is able to get you fed if they can do that with government spending, i.e. socialism, that everything is fine. And there were people advocating that that's what's abnormal. That's what is a huge violation of basic human nature. Sit around, do nothing. The American people are not going to be cooped up. So I was longing for that briefing yesterday because I knew when it happened it was going to totally change the dynamic, the paradigm, what have you. And it did. You can see it after the briefing. You can look at the guests on cable news shows that father than MSNBC, of course. But you can look at the subjects that were discussed. You can, you can see it whatever websites you click. The, there was an entire attitudinal change. Yeah, man, let's get going. Let's reopen. People began coming up with their own ideas how to do it, with their own criteria. So the real infectious thing is optimism. Pessimism is not infectious. Pessimism works by scaring everybody into, com- into compliance, into uh, uh, conformity. Oh, conformity, I'll tell you. I, I, I'm not a, I'm not big on conformity. I, I can't do it. It's why I was never going to succeed in a corporate structure. Nothing against them. I just wasn't cut out for it. But we're going to put what's going to happen here. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. We're going to put our toes in the water. People who are a little afraid to leave home are going to leave home. Some are going to stay at home until they're less afraid. But this is going to happen. Uh, a gym will open and people go to the gym and they'll leave the gym and they'll be alive. And people say, wow, he survived a trip to the gym. Wow. Or I survived a trip to the restaurant. There's going to be some restaurants that will open for in restaurant service, not takeout. People are going to survive. People are going to live. 
They're going to survive these experiences that we've been told for the last month could kill us. And when that happens, cures and treatments are going to be announced and they're going to increase in number. Once a few people go to the park, Saturday in the park, Chicago, remember that tune? Once some people get out there, start feeding the squirrels. Get out there, start feeding the ducks. Once their, once their dogs start jumping in the pools and all of that. Once they start going to the hair salon, once they start going to the nail salon, once they start going to the office, everybody's going to jump in as these things happen and people survive it. Because I'm telling you, right now, there's an entire political apparatus that wants you to think doing any of the things you used to do could kill you. You could die. And if people end up surviving these things, it's just going to build on itself. You could see it beginning yesterday with just the expression of opinion and thought. And then people are going to start congregating. And they'll do it with social distancing and they'll do it with masks. And they'll draw funny little things on their masks. And some people will cut holes in the masks for their nose and their... And pretend that they're Joe Biden. Speaking of Biden, can I play it before I give you these CDC numbers? You will not believe the CDC numbers of March 13th. You, well, you, you'll have to believe them because they're true. But you, I guarantee you, you've forgotten what they are. And, the, and they were based, they were model projections. The, the reason that we're here. But, folks, you have to hear this. And I want you to envision something. This is plugs last night. CNN ran a special, Coronavirus Facts and Fears, a CNN Global Town Hall. The host was a dire and very gloomy-looking Anderson Cooper. Along with the official medical doctor at CNN, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. So you had on the screen... From left to right, as you're looking at the screen, you had the gloomy Anderson Cooper. In the middle, you had Dr. Sanjay Gupta. And then you had plugs from his basement studio in Delaware. And the gloomy Anderson Cooper said with, I wish you could see the face we'll probably, you know what, we'll post the video at RushLimbo.com so you can see the faces of the gloomy Anderson Cooper and Sanjay Gupta. The question, looking at the president's new plan for reopening the country in phases, uh, it's up to the states. But what do you think, Mr. Vice President? What do you think, Mr. Biden, what you heard today from the White House? I don't quite understand why we're taking so long to do the kinds of things that that have to be done. Um, you know, there's a, uh, during World War Two, uh, you know, where Roosevelt came up with a thing uh, that uh, you know was totally different than a than the, the it's called he called it the you know the World War Two. He had the war the, the War Production Board. You 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 should have seen. I mean, Cooper couldn't have been any gloomier than he was at the outset of the segment. But Doctor Gupta, 
you can tell. Let's say, what do I do here? The look on his face was one of shock, sadness, and realization that they were talking to somebody who didn't know where he was and didn't even understand the question. And remember, somebody is at Biden's house with him. He can't fire up that technical stuff on his own. Somebody has to set it up. Somebody has to be there to test it. You know, make sure the audio and video connections to see and enter work is somebody can see that Joe Biden doesn't know where he is. And they still let the segment happen. This is what this is a million things of, curi- of, of curiosity to me. They're, how could you do this to this guy? I mean, look, he's uh, 82, whatever it is, years old. Or maybe he's late 70 and he's going to be 80 after 40. I don't know. He, he's, he's, he's up there. And clearly he does not have all of his mental faculties that he has had during the course of his life. And every, people closer to him than you and I know this better than you and I do. And yet they're still letting this happen. It would have been easy to tell CNN, vice president is unavailable. Vice president is deep. Uh, studying the president's plan is not yet ready to comment. But then again, that would have been tough because CNN's promoted this thing, has promoted this thing as some global town hall, and why do it if you're not going to have the guy they used to beat Trump? So here, listen to it again, and just imagine Dr. Sanjay Gupta's face of the expression was... I want to say blank, but it wasn't blank because it was literally a combination of shock and fear. So the question, Mr. Vice President, looking at the president's plan here, phased reopening of the country. What do you think of what you heard? I don't quite understand why we're taking so long to do the kinds of things that that have to be done. Um, You know, there's a uh, during World War Two, uh, you know, where Roosevelt came up with a thing uh, that uh, you know was totally different than a than the, the it's called he called it the you know the World War Two. He had the war the, the War Production Board. They they ran away from that. They didn't ask him to expand on it. Didn't know what he was talking about. I don't understand why we're taking so long to do the kind of things that have to be done. What? You mean like to reopen? That's what they were afraid of. They were afraid that plugs in this answer was going to end up endorsing Trump's plan by saying, I don't know why it's taking so long to do this. That's where the panic originally set in. Then when plugs totally lost his place, had no idea what he was talking about, then another kind of panic set in. But never forget, if you want to talk about compassion, mean-spiritedness, cruelty, it was somebody willingly put Joe Biden out there last night on this show, knowing full well that he was not able to do it last night. Somebody nevertheless did. I mentioned earlier Trump's tweet to Andrew Cuomo. We have a series of Trump's Trump tweets. The Cuomo tweet is this. Governor Cuomo should spend more time doing and less time complaining. Get out there, get the job done. Stop talking. We built you thousands of hospital beds that you didn't need or use. We gave large numbers of ventilators that you should have had and helped you with testing that you should have been doing already without us. We have given New York far more money, 
help and equipment than any other state by far. And these great men and women who did their job never hear you say thanks, Governor. Your numbers are not good. Less talk and more action. Here he is slapping Cuomo in the face and basically saying, grow up and act like a man. Start doing and stop complaining. By the way, that's one thing. Do you ever remember Donald Trump complaining about anything other than immediate treatment? But in terms of the specifics of the circumstance, you remember, you remember him complaining about, oh, my God, I've been no, nobody. This is worse than anybody's ever had it. You ever he doesn't he doesn't complain. He'll complain about the media, but that actually is a way of uh, trashing them. Here's some tweets from today, starting at 9.50 a.m. Today, people started losing their jobs because of crazy Nancy Pelosi, crying Chuck Schumer, and the radical left do-nothing Democrats who should immediately come back to Washington and approve legislation to help families in America. End your endless vacation. He's right. Pelosi will not bring the Democrats back. Will not bring the Democrats back to authorize additional funding for small business administration loans to small business. She will not. She will not do one thing that might end up helping Donald Trump, even if it hurts the American people. And the American people are figuring this out. Trump tweeted, liberate Virginia, save your great Second Amendment. It's under siege. Then he tweeted, liberate Michigan and then tweeted, liberate Minnesota. All of these places with Democrat governors. Okay, now the CDC numbers. This is going to stun you. This is why we shut down. One of the many reasons we shut down. CDC projections. I'm going to go back to March the 13th. This is basically a month ago. And these numbers largely derived from the models that came from the UK and from the University of Washington. Are you ready? Projections by the Centers for Disease Control, March 13th, 160 million to 214 million people would be infected. Do you know what the infection number is right now? Well, it ain't 160 million and it isn't 214 million. U.S. population is... 328 million, 2.4 million people are infected and 21 million people were, were, were hospitalized. Or no, these are projections, I'm sorry, these are still their projections. 21 million people would be hospitalized. 2.4 million to 21 million would be hospitalized. 925,000 staffed hospital beds in the entire United States. 810,000 hospitalizations for the flu in 2018. Hospitalizations for the COVID virus, about 60,000. They projected 925,000. Had to project something bigger than the swine flu. Had to project something bigger than the flu. Keep everybody in line. They projected 2.4 million, 21 million people hospitalized. It's 60,000. Do you remember these project? Do you remember hearing that 160 million to 214 million people will be infected? you remember hearing these numbers? Of course it'd make you stay home. 
Of course it would make you hunker down. Of course it would make you socially distance. We're nowhere near these numbers a month later. Anyway, let's take a break. Open line Friday and your phone calls will continue. So hang on. Welcome back. America's real anchorman meeting and surpassing all the audience expectations Every day. We uh, return to the phones Avon Lakes, maybe Avon Lakes, Ohio. This is Janine. Welcome. Great to have you here. Oh, hi, Rush. Thank you. It's an honor. Um, I have two comments. The first has to do with the point you made earlier in the show about Trump's leadership and why there have been so few, if no, leaks. And while I was um, self-isolating the other day, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, you know, it is strange that uh, Fauci and Team Scarf have not been out there bad-mouthing him. And, you know, these are swamp creatures, and they are used to dealing in a bureaucracy. And no matter how dire the circumstances, they've always dealt in slow-moving bureaucracies. And I think they may genuinely be impressed with his ability to make immediate decisions and act on them. And that's my thought. And and then I do have one more comment if, if you have time. Absolutely. Okay, well, great. Um, tomorrow, I'm in Ohio, and a large group of us are going to be going down to Columbus to rally to try to get the wine off the dime and open up the state before May 1st. So if you can join us at the State House at 1.30 tomorrow, there will be a very large group of us rallying and social distancing. There you go. Okay, Janine, thank you very much. Uh, as as to the uh, the comments she made about... Uh, Fauci and uh, and the scarf queen not leaking. I clearly had them in mind, but there are many more people on that task force than just Dr. Fauci. I mean, the scarf queen has a team, team scarf in there. And every one of those people that you see that, 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 that strides to the microphone, they all have staff behind that task force. There are hundreds of people on that task force, folks. Hundreds of people in support staff positions and any number. They're clerical. They're any number. Not a single leak from any of them. Not. I wasn't even specifically thinking of Fauci and Burks. They want the daily exposure. They Hang on. Yeah, folks, there's a lot of people that could have been leaking, and there wasn't one leak. There wasn't one act of sabotage the entire coronavirus task force. You've got Mike Pence ran it. Um, you have the the military. You've got the guy that was the supply chain logistics expert who appeared now and then. That, that involves a tremendous number of military people. And we know there's some military people out there who don't like President Trump, as in Colonel Vindman. Oh, oh, say, can you see? So I, I think it's it, it's remarkable, actually, and it's it's another testament to the to the leadership that we heard from, uh, that we saw, that we got from President Trump. Now, a lot of people said, "Rush, why, why, why were you why were you riffing on?" Governor Cuomo talking about his mom. Well, let me play for you the soundbite. Look, people talking about their their mothers is a very, very, very nice thing to do. And it's a very uh, relatable thing to do. This happened during his daily 
press conference update on the status of the New York state and city effort to deal with COVID-19. And I, something about it just stuck, stood out to me in terms of was this the right time or place to share this kind of thing? You, you tell me. It's about 45 seconds, and that's all it'll take to get a flavor for it. I don't want to go see my mother because she's in a vulnerable population, and I'm out and about a lot. So it would be careless to go see her now. But I think about all the times I have said to her, she lives in Manhattan, she said, can you come over for a cup of coffee today? How many times I've said, yes, I'll come over for a cup of coffee, and then called back and said, I can't do it today, next time. Next time, next time, next time. Why? Well, because something came up, I was busy, I didn't have the time. Wrong. Wrong. That was more important than anything else. Sometimes you don't miss something until it's been taken away. And it made me rethink what was important and what I had been missing. And I'd been missing a lot. Well, um, yeah, but you kind of imposed it on yourself and everybody else. So there's a little guilt trip here. His mom's asked, come over, see me, Andrew. Sure, mom, I'll be there. And then, hey, mom, guess what? I can't make it. Sandra Lee's baking me a nice cake. I can't make it. She got something really cool going on over on the food channel over there. Just can't. Okay, Andrew, well, come and see me tomorrow. Okay, mom, I'll be there. Yeah, come have a cup of coffee. I'll be there, mom. And he never gets there. He never gets there. Now, he can't go there because of two things. There's a government-wide lockdown in New York, and his mom's in a vulnerable population. So there has to be big-time social distancing. So he's, he's telling everybody, you know, you don't want to have happen to you what happened to me. You got a chance to go see the people you love, go see them. Don't wait till the time comes and you want to see them and you can't go see them. Yeah, you have an observation, official program observer. With, what, what's the question? <clears throat> yeah, I think uh, Mr. Snurdly, the official program observer, as well as the official call screener, has asked me, is Andrew Cuomo actively aware? Is he actually calculating that there is no way Plugs Biden will be the Democrat presidential nominee? Let me tell you what. <laughs> for every time Andrew Cuomo said, I'm not interested in running for president. I've got too many things to do. Ah, multiply that times 10, yes. Do you not think he's... Well, he can read his own press. He can read that he's doing rave reviews for these daily briefings. Even though he states out of money, I mean, when you get down to actual qualifications for running for president, the the status of New York as an entity will argue against his qualification. But that's for later. I guarantee you can taste it. He can taste it. He's got his old buddies in the media hoping, praying that he's going to do it. They can come up with a way to change the rules to make it possible. The only way, and I, not the only way. But it seems to me that for Andrew Cuomo's um, desired trip to the Democrat nomination, it's going to have to be a brokered convention, right? How else are they going to do it? The rules are the rules. They've already name plugs the de facto presumptive 
nominee. Crazy Bernie has suspended his campaign now. Interestingly, Crazy Bernie's holding on to his delegates. Crazy Bernie has not released his delegates. So his delegates are still tied. Um, and then you have the specter of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and what she wants to happen here. So how? what is the route to the Democrat nomination? She wants Crazy Bernie. She wants somebody like Crazy Bernie. She wants somebody who is proudly, avowedly, publicly socialist. She doesn't want, she doesn't want Biden, unless she would be in the kitchen cabinet silent, silent team actually managing the presidency while Plugs is out there, you know, hanging Christmas ornaments on the tree. Did you see there's another, these pictures of Biden, poor guy, he doesn't have a chance. There's another picture all over Twitter and it's of Obama leaning in to talk to him. And Obama says, hey, Joe, I endorsed you today. And Biden says, yeah, for what? And then there was the picture of Biden on Easter. They sent out this picture. Biden said, Merry Christmas from, from Joe Biden and the Biden. It's cruel stuff out there. All right. The lockdown is loosening whether government likes it or not. This is from The Federalist. It's a piece by David Marcus. And let me just give you some pull quotes as opposed to reading the whole thing. It is the American people, not the government, who will decide when this lockdown is over. And they are getting closer to that decision. Amen. It's not normal to stay cooped up at home and have your livelihood taken away from you. It is not normal to just sit there in a docile state and accept it. Just isn't normal. And I'll tell you, the, the, the way they originally get people to comply is to project all these horrible numbers. 250 a million hospitalizations, record number of deaths. Oh, my God, we've never seen anything like it. It's going to be horrible. Leave your house and you die. Stay in your home and you live. Blah, blah, blah. Do all that. And then here come the experts. Uh, 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 look, we're having to revise our numbers down. The model numbers are maybe looking at uh, 50,000 dead, not, not millions and millions. When that starts happening, then the people have, who have complied with all this and said, well, the, what the hell are we doing here for? What, what is this for? And they're going to start asking themselves, okay, really, how risky is it out there? And they're going to look at nothing in the refrigerator. And they're going to look at nothing to pay the rent with. These are real-world things. They're real-world realities. There's nothing theoretical about this anymore. It's undoable. It's unsustainable. And people still have income coming in. People still have financial reserves to rely on making policy for people who have none. They ain't going to fly. So it only stands to reason that the American people are going to decide when this lockdown is over. You see, folks... We, who I will refer to as normal, normal people, people that I lovingly and very appreciate.
appreciatively characterized by saying people who make the country work and who are not leftist understand that there are risks in life. I remember uh, first or second grade at the old Franklin School in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. I remember getting the polio vaccine. It was a sugar cube that was that had a red splotch. They come along with an eyedropper and they they squeezed it. They probably did that in advance. I don't remember, but the sugar cube was in a tiny little solo cup, and you ate the sugar cube and you got the vaccination of polio, and that meant you were not going to get it. It was not an annual thing, and then you hope it was a real vaccine for polio. When I was born, that vaccine didn't exist. It happened in 1955 when I was four. I got the vaccine when I was six or seven. And people were careful, but but my point is we didn't keep people at home. We didn't isolate the kids. We went to school with polio, a possibility. There still is no HIV vaccine. HIV discovered in the early 1980s, mid-80s, there's no vaccine. There there are now really powerful treatments for it, but there's no vaccine. Most viruses don't have vaccines. That's why the talk of a vaccine here, that's, you know, that's another mollifying tactic designed to make you, hey, if it's only a year and a half, I can do that. I can wait that. Folks... There may never be a coronavirus vaccine. Why isn't there a vaccine for the common cold? I mean, everybody gets that. Everybody gets the cold. We've had a chance to study the common cold for freaking millennia. And there, there isn't even medicine for it when you get it. You can, you can go out and get things that make you think you will have fewer symptoms, but there's nothing you can take to prevent you from getting the common cold, and there is nothing you can take to get rid of it once you get it. We have flu shots, but no common cold shots. Common cold's a virus. The flu is a virus. HIV is a virus that causes AIDS. You have to wonder about the ulterior motives of people who want this virus to be different. And by that, I mean there are all kinds of viruses out there that we deal with. The flu, which hospitalizes many more, that kills many more. And yet there are people who want you to think of this virus as something from outer space, the Andromeda strain. Once you get it, you're going to that it's too bad for you. Look, it's bad. I don't want anybody to think I'm downplaying it. It's just not what they say it is. It's not what their projections said that it is. But my only point here, I'm talking politically and attitudinally. You have to wonder about the motives of people who want this virus to be thought of as different. Here's the pull quote from the piece. The lockdown's loosening whether government likes it or not. What is important and telling about the differences in people's behavior this week is that no city or state government policies have actually changed. 
The people of New York themselves, and from accounts across the country and other places as well, have simply decided to loosen the guidelines for themselves. We tend to think of the idea of the government existing through the consent of the governed as being about elections. But it's about much more than that. The successful lockdown of New York City was not enforced as much as it was consented to. The people of New York consented to it. And all over the country, we consented. We agreed to it. Because they shot some really bad numbers at us. They told us that it was going to be really bad. And they gave us all these projected numbers of deaths and hospitalizations. They never talked about the number of recoveries, though. In a story that will disappear from the news media faster than a cockroach under the kitchen lights, the Trump administration was proven correct about having the ventilators the nation needed. The drive-by media went overboard trying to portray Trump as unprepared, unwilling, unhelpful, clueless, out to lunch, as evidenced by, we don't have enough ventilators. We've always had enough ventilators. Anyway, I'm a little long. A brief break. We'll come back and resume with your phone calls. Don't go away, folks. Okay, back to the phones we go. Having more fun than a human being. Should be allowed to have Fenton, Michigan. Julie. Hello. Hi. Hi. Uh, Doodles, Russ. I wanted to make a comment on the CHICOMs. You had mentioned earlier in the week that they didn't care about the well-being of their citizens. And my husband is from the former East Germany. And it reminded me of a story he told me after the Chernobyl disaster uh, their own government and their state-sanctioned media wouldn't report on it. The only way they heard about it was through West German media that they were able to intercept. Oh, they, and the, the they Soviets. Were giving, they were giving advice on measures they could take to stay safe, and their own government wouldn't tell them about it. Oh, they were lying through their... In fact, do you have HBO? Yeah. You're, have you seen the Chernobyl miniseries? It's only six episodes. You actually... You know, I haven't yet. I, I meant to. You should watch it because it is amazingly honest about the Soviet Union. It is amazingly honest. And what's fascinating is that the, the clown that produced this series was trying to make people think that this is Trump. And what he ended up doing was exposing the deceit of communism the lack of compassion for citizens by commune, the lying through their... T- it, it, is, it is amazing. I couldn't believe that it ran on HBO. HBO is, is a noted... I mean, HBO is a liberal cultural marker. And this miniseries, and it's good to boot, despite just being truthful, it's a good entertaining piece, entertaining miniseries. You really should watch it. And again, the, the guy who did it literally thought people would watch it and understand that Trump is like a Soviet, that Trump is an autocrat, that Trump is like, it's the most common. I love it when they lose track of their own propaganda. Yeah, well, that's a good way to put it, because this guy thought the American people were going to see something that nobody saw. What they saw was shocking about how the Soviet Union lied to the world after a genuine, serious nuclear meltdown. We would if we had a nuclear meltdown. We'd have told we'd told the world about it like any other responsible nation. But they tried to keep everything from the world about this, yeah. including their own their own citizens. So uh, you should watch it. 
it's it's not often that these kind of things get recommended by me. But since you you're inside more than you're not probably, and you're looking for ways to pass the time, this would be a good one. We'll take a break, and we'll be back. Don't go anywhere. It is starting. Look at this. Mayor Lenny Curry, Republican Jacksonville, to reopen the beach. Jacksonville Beach with limitations. You can walk, bike, hike, fish, run, swim. You can walk your pets as long as you have an official scarf. Exactly as I hoped. Exactly as I predicted. I've told you that... I thought once the tone of the briefing changed to reopening, that everybody would get on board, automatically start talking about it. Now more and more people are claiming they're going to abandon their state lockdowns. The Texas governor, Greg Abbott, has just issued an executive order to reopen the state. Right on. Right on, right on, right on. Meanwhile, Trump is tweeting out there to liberate Democrat states with stay-at-home protests. Liberate these states keeping being kept locked down by Democrat governors for political reasons. And again, the mayor of Jacksonville, Florida, Lenny Curry, says he's going to reopen the beaches with limitations. This is also big. The beaches, you know, you can practice social distancing on a beach for crying out loud. But you haven't been able to. So according to the Jacksonville mayor, Lenny Curry, you can walk. You can bike. You can hike. You can fish. You can run. You can swim. You can walk your pets. You can even surf out there. What you cannot do is take a chair and sit on the beach. You cannot congregate in groups out there. But if you want to fly your kite, by the way, where I live, people have been doing that anyway. Where I live, the surfers have been out there anyway. Where I live, people have been violating this stuff for, I've noticed it the past two or three weeks. And I'm not trying to get anybody in trouble, but but nobody is apparently going out there and telling them to stop doing it. I mean, people flying these gigantic kites out there, uh, people are walking around. I don't know when I don't know when our beaches are going to officially reopen, but in Jacksonville, Florida, again, Mayor Lenny Curry, Republican, you can walk, bike, hike, fish. I don't know who would want to do any of that, but. If you like it, you can. You can walk, bike, hike, fish, run, swim, walk your pets, and surf. You just can't sit on the beach. You cannot congregate in groups. And Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, issued an executive order to reopen the state. I was longing for this. You who have been listening regularly know that I have been longing for this. And it's not for me. It's not for me. It's for it's for everybody who is suffering some of the most dire economic circumstances. I mean, stop and think about it. You're part of a economic rebirth, a roaring economic period of three years. 
record number of jobs. Wages are on the way up. New careers are being created and uh, sought by the week, by the day. The economic opportunity in America is, is, is bursting. And it was only three years ago, the American people, three, five, seven years ago, the American people were told not to expect this kind of thing anymore because the world economy had changed so that eh, better get used to an America in decline rather than an America where high expectations dictate. And along comes Donald Trump blows that away, and then one day, after three years of being part of this economic rebirth, if you wanted to be, if you wanted to be out there working and advancing your career, then one day, for, for an apparently valid reason, though, just one day, you're told, uh, can't go to work today. Your business is not allowed to open today. Your recreational Opportunities are taken away from you. You're not allowed to leave your house for any reason, under penalty of who knows what. And we're into, what, week five? How long has this shutdown been going on? Week five, week six, whatever it is. And it's the most abnormal state for normal people to be involved in. It was unsustainable. It can't go on it could not go on, and the first chance that people had to follow, they would do it. Just needed a little leadership on the reopen side. Just need a little readership, leadership and a plan. A plan how we're going to do it, try to maintain as much safety as possible, dip our toes in the water, all it took was somebody making the first move, and then here come a bunch of people willing to follow, and then more people willing to lead. So this is going to feed off of itself. I want to tell you this, too. In, in, in trying to be as, as historically accurate and honest as I can be, in every pandemic that we have experienced, there has been a second wave. There is always a second wave. And if there is with coronavirus, don't panic and don't think that it's something abnormal. You perhaps have heard people talk a lot about the, the, the Spanish flu from 2007, or 1917 and 1918. And by the way, the Spanish flu got its name not because of anything that happened in Spain. That's not why it got its name. It, 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 I, I forget the reason, but it, actually it was because of uh, actions that happened in the United States. It was called the Spanish flu, but it did not have anything to do with what happened in Spain. What, what happened, we never shut down for any reason whatsoever during either phase of the Spanish flu. The second wave of the Spanish flu was actually spread by soldiers in World War One. As soldiers were deployed to combat, they were infected and they spread the virus. And so if there is a second wave, there almost always is because at some point uh, 
well, whether you hunker down or not, remember there wasn't a shutdown of any kind for the Spanish flu in 1917. But eventually, infections run their course, the immunity that takes place because of that runs its course, and then a new group from a different place uh, contract uh, whatever the disease is, the virus, in this case it was called Spanish flu. So there, there may be a second wave, and I'll tell you what's going to happen if there's a second wave. The people right now who disagree with reopening are going to clamor to shut down again. They're going to demand that we shut down again. They're going to demand to go back. And the closer to the election any second wave happens, the more they are going to demand that we shut down and lock down all over again. Mark my words, I hope there isn't a second wave. But the quote-unquote experts are predicting it, saying it's almost unavoidable because... While we have successfully flattened the curve, we have not stopped the disease at all. We don't have a vaccine and we don't have a treatment. So all we've done is prevent a number of people from getting it who otherwise would have gotten it had we not locked down. Now that we're lifting lockdown orders, uh, the logic says that more people are going to get infected. What is hoped is that there's enough uh, herd immunity eventually that has created enough antibodies in enough people that they will thus have an immunity based on that. So just remember, second wave, almost every pandemic has one. Uh, it, it Maybe not in every every country, but there is one. Now, let me get to these two competing pieces I mentioned in the uh, in the first hour. Just and because I, I want to share with you the the different levels of anxiety or not not pessimism but caution versus genuine real optimism. And let me go first with Kimberly Strassel's piece in the Wall Street Journal. Today, I think it was posted late last night. Now, the title of Kim Strassel's piece today, Moving the Shutdown Goalposts, Liberals Try to Set Trump Up to Take the Blame for Any Further Coronavirus Deaths. We know that's going to happen. That's easily predictable. She thinks that the Democrats are laying a trap for Trump and that Trump needs to be very wary of it. She thinks Trump needs to very honestly manage expectations, that Trump needs to be front and center with the American people about the pitfalls of opening up, that there could be more deaths and there could be more infections, and that the rate of economic growth may take a while to rev up. Now, you know, Trump's out there saying, I think it's going to be faster, I think it's going to be bigger, I think it's going to be bigger than anybody thinks. I don't think anybody's going to have ever seen anything like it. Typical Trump. She thinks that's dangerous because it's raising expectations. I think Trump has managed a massively successful opera. I think the way he has run, you know, true leaders, true leaders do not bash their teams. Not in public. 
True leaders don't make up excuses for shortcomings. So far during all of this, Donald Trump has exuded confidence. There's no substitute for it in terms of its infectious and persuasive nature. He exudes confidence. He respects the people who are the best at what they do. Look, he chose the people on this task force. He chose Pence to lead it. He wants Fauci and the Scarf Queen on this task force. He's not going to bash them unless they turn on him. That's always that's always the recipe. Trump doesn't bash anybody until they hit him. And if they or anyone hits him, then look out. But he doesn't bash them. He, and he's not going to turn on Fauci. He's not going to turn on anybody in this team. Not publicly. Because doing so would make him look bad, make him look like a lousy leader, make him look like he had picked bad people. Whenever he thinks he's made a mistake, he fixes it. He, make him, he thinks he made a mistake with Jeff Sessions, for example. He knows he made a mistake with Rosenstein. He knows he made a mistake not firing Comey sooner. So Kim Strassel, pull quote, what's missing from the White House reopening plan and what is urgently required is management of expectations. The administration needs to keep reminding the country of the original mission to flatten the curve and it needs to define quickly its own measure of success. Her point is, we have not given up flattening the curve no matter what else we're doing. If we're reopening, we still want to keep going on flattening the curve. And Trump, she thinks, needs to quickly go out and tell everybody what success here looks like. How many businesses open? How many people going back to work? Uh, what kind of businesses are open? Uh, how many states do reopen? Things like beaches, whatever. She believes that Trump needs... Rather than just turning everything over to the governors, he needs to define. He needs to set the definitions of success so that others can't. Don't leave it to the media to proclaim him a failure because he didn't establish any measure of success. Another pull quote from Kim Strassel. The Trump administration has become a victim of its own success. The guidelines from the task force did flatten the curve. As ugly as the outbreak has been, even in New York City and other hotspots, have had enough ventilators. As ugly as it's been, there hasn't been a shortage of ventilators. People who needed them got them. Numerous emergency field hospitals ended up sitting empty. They weren't needed Yet they were built based on these projections and the models. The lockdown has been so effective that it has allowed Trump's political opponents to lay out a false narrative of what counts as victory. The political cynicism is extraordinary. She's, 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 she has a lifetime of studying and chronicling Democrat Party political deceit. And so that her fear is that she that, that, that they are going to be able with the media to outrun Trump at every political turn if Trump and his team are not careful. 
The lockdown has been so effective at flattening the curve and limiting the spread of the disease and making sure ventilators got where they needed to go that it's allowed the Democrats to lay out a false narrative of what counts as victory. She doesn't specify it. The next pull quote, quote, the left intends to make reopening the economy far harder than it should be. The Democrat Party, the American left, are going to lace the reopening with political risk by raising the bar for success to fantasy heights. Speaker Pelosi lashed Trump during a private call with her caucus on Monday, saying he was putting Americans in grave danger if he rushes to reopen the economy at the end of this month. It's a Politico article. It laid out Pelosi's requirement until a robust testing and contact tracing system is in place. It would be impossible for the president to guarantee Americans a safe re-entry into their normal life. See, so she set the bar here. Safe re-entry. Nothing's going to happen to you. You can go back to work and everybody's going to be safe. Nobody's saying that. Trump is not saying that. But she's pointing out that this is how Pelosi is defining it. She's already accusing Trump of assuring people of this. And it allows her to say, no, we should not reopen because Trump can't make it safe. It isn't going to be safe. They don't want the economy up and running because they don't want Trump benefiting from it. They want to benefit from an economic shutdown. By Pelosi's standards, no lockdown could end until the Trump administration could guarantee a safe world in which people return to normal. And no such guarantee could be made because no such safe world exists short of a vaccine. So that's what she means. But they're setting an impossible high bar. Trump had better manage the expectation of that. He better not let the Democrats get away with this. Okay, so that's one way of looking at this. Conrad Black, on the other hand, is the eternal optimist. I'll share that with you later. We'll get back to the phones after the break here. I'm looking at the official uh, broadcast clock here. There just isn't enough time to be fair with a caller here. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We have, uh, and this segment's going to be short because I went way long in the Kim Strassel analysis. It's my bad. These segments should be more properly timed, so each one has significant length. But I just, I went long. I didn't want to blow the flow. So we'll take a break here coming up sadly soon and come back. We'll do uh, a couple of calls again in the Conrad Black piece because it's an entirely different take on this. From the, we need to be really worried about what the Democrats are doing. And Democrats are out there going to steal Trump's thunder and they're going to really be. And Conrad thinks the Democrats are the most inept bunch of people running around right now. It's just a fascinating contrast. You're free to choose your side, which one you agree with. All coming up. Hang on. Hi, welcome back. Great to have you. You know, I mentioned this to the staff earlier and I needed some help with this. I, I needed some explaining or clarification. Here is the headline, and I don't know. I don't have a link for the story. It's not that I doubt it. I just like, I know it's true. I just like cite the link, but I can't. doesn't matter. The headline is, Dr. Fauci 
endorses Tinder hookups if you're willing to take a risk. So I had to ask uh, informed, knowing members of the staff what Tinder is. I mean, I, I've heard of it. Don't misunderstand. And they told me what it was. It's a flat-out hookup site. It's not a dating site. It's not where you give all your profiles the fact that you like canaries or whatever this stuff is. You know, you like Rod McEwen poetry, none of that. You just specify what kind of thing you're looking for in a hookup. Is that is that basically... So the story says if if you're tired of having to live your sex life online during a lockdown, you're in luck. Government coronavirus expert Dr. Fauci says that heart-sick isolationists can hook up with asymptomatic Tinder matches in real life, but it involves some risk. Dr. Fauci, 79 years old, it says here, dropped the unorthodox dating tip in a Tuesday interview on Snapchat's Good Luck America. Toward the end of the segment, Dr. Fauci was asked, if you're swiping on a dating app like Tinder or Bumble or Grindr, <laughs> Grindr, <laughs> and you match with someone that you think is hot, and you're just kind of like, well, maybe it's fine if this one stranger comes over. What do you say to that person? Dr. Fauci said, what do you know? That's tough. He was a little befuddled, it says here, as the question was a curveball. Yeah, well, you know, that's tough because that's what's called relative risk. And then Dr. Fauci dropped the bombshell. Hey, if you're willing to take a risk, and you know, everybody has their own tolerance for risks, you can figure it out if you want to meet somebody, said Dr. Fauci, who was named a candidate for People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive Award. He, a he added, now, if you, if you want to go a little bit more intimate, well, then that's your choice Regarding risk, so I, I didn't understand this at all. Here is the man who is encouraging keeping your distance, safe distance, social distance, stay at home, six feet, six feet, no, no, don't do anything to violate the six feet. Now granting permission to Tinder hookups. I had to ask, is this actually what he's what what he's saying is okay to do if somebody comes over or if you go over to their place okay to have sex with them is that is that what he's suggesting because that's what that's what tinder is right tinder is sex hookups it's not relationship central well yeah you wear a mask is one thing but for crying out loud here what do you need a six foot penis how do you pull this off I asked Snurdy that question. He got cracked up earlier. Because, it, look, folks, I'm not trying to be funny. I know I'm a naturally funny person. This violates everything we've been told. And it includes the swapping of what? Precious bodily fluids. And here's Dr. Fauci sanctioning it.
if you want to take the risk. Now, why? I, I, look, don't don't infer a tone in my voice that's not there. If it's okay to take the risk for a tender hookup, then why can't you go to a restaurant? Why can't you? Why can't you? Uh, why can't Andrew Cuomo go see his mom? For example, can anybody answer this for me? Well, that's the only thing I was thinking. That maybe Dr. Fauci doesn't know what Tinder is. Well, he may not know what Bumble and Grinder are either. But 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 it, it, he still he said look at the question for swiping on a dating app, meaning you're you're, you're swiping around on the internet if you if you're browsing. Tinder, Bumble, or Grinder, and you match with somebody who thinks you're really hot, you're just kind of like, okay, maybe it's fine if this one stranger comes over. So he's being asked to respond if they come over to your crib. There's only one reason they're coming over if you've met them on Tinder. And it's not to social dentist, and it's not to, it's not to brew a bunch of tea, and it's not to compare scarves. And he said it's okay with uh, with the relative risk. He said if you're willing to take a risk, you could figure out if you want to meet somebody. Now maybe he doesn't. Maybe he thinks it's just meeting somebody. I don't know. Let me grab a quick phone call. Carol in Holbrook, Long Island. I'm glad you waited. You're next to the EIB network. Hello. Hi, Rush. Thank you for taking my call. Um, okay, I'm calling because, quite frankly, I'm a little bit annoyed with President Trump. I was born and raised in Queens, Long Island, just like him. He is a Long Islander. And yet, he signs off on this stimulus package, which I really think is a political stunt, and gives money to everybody in the nation. But most of Long Island doesn't qualify because we are the most expensive place to live in the continental United States. We have over 50,000 cases in the two counties alone. And yet, my kids didn't even get, the, didn't get a check. And I got a check because I'm retired. If I was still working, I wouldn't have qualified either. He knows better, and he just caved to the politics of it. And, well, that's how I feel, and I'm very annoyed. I love Trump, but I'm very annoyed because he's forgotten about Long Island. Uh, I'm sure that there are other places in the country might have the same complaint, Uh areas of the country where affluence is assumed beyond what maybe is really true and therefore they are or are not getting money certain places here here's but the we're a hot spot but, but, i but, mean we Ka- are a hot spot rush yeah 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 but carol here's the thing what this is showing is one thing very clearly the federal government no government can take the place of a functioning, roaring economy. The government simply cannot give people enough money to replicate an income, to replicate what they would get from a career or job. They're simply, they don't have the means to come up with the money. They don't have the means for adequate and fair distribution. It's socialism. It, I agree. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't work. And you, unfortunately, live in a hot spot area being victimized by the truth. Yes. Of it. Well, can I ask one more question? Why are social, recipient, social Security recipients receiving this? I didn't lose income during this epidemic. And that's why I think it's a political ploy. Uh, 
to what end? What what the, you mean the choice or the determination of who gets a check is politics that Trump Absolutely. is playing? Absolutely. Well, and he signed off on it. I mean, why why should I get a check? I'm going to give it to my kids. But why should I get a check? I'm not even working. Well, but but you need everybody should be getting a check that's out of it doesn't matter whether you're working or not you don't have any money <laughs> okay right yes okay <laughs> and the point is they can't give they can't give everybody enough money we printed six trillion dollars and it's not even making a dent this ought to wake people up we had a $22 trillion economy that we just told to go to hell. We sat it down. We turned it off. And it wasn't long before rent came due. It wasn't long before credit card payments came due. It wasn't long before bills of all kinds had to be paid. And with what? This is why I have been an early advocate for ending this. Look, I'm not a dunce. We've never done this before. We have never, ever, there is no track record for this. We've never shut down the economy like this. Oh, we've had government shutdowns now and then. We've had economic collapses. We had the 2007, 2008 so-called financial crisis. We had the Great Depression. This one we are causing. This one we literally decapitated the world's most robust economy. I still haven't gotten over that we did it. And I, this is, folks, I'm not single, uh, singling out Trump, uh, any, anybody. There's the fact that, that we did it, and I know why we did it. Here came the projections. Here came the models. Remember, I was out for two weeks because of a very bad reaction, some side effects to my phase one cancer treatment. I'm out two weeks. The first day back is when the models are being used to project all this. And I remember the, the first hour, my voice was really weak. I was still trying to uh, get back in, in shape. And I remembered plugging through and warning everybody these models didn't have a prayer being right because they're never right. And I correlated them to climate change models who have yet to be correct. And with climate change, man-made climate change, we don't have any data. All we've got are model projections of what the fears are 20 and 30 years down the road. We don't have. There isn't any. Don't doubt me on this. There isn't any actual data. Now, you can have left-wing blog sites give you pictures, fraudulent pictures of polar bears on little thin sheets of ice that are made up. And you can talk about rising sea levels in Borneo, Bora Bora, that may be temporary, but they're portrayed as permanent. Or you can talk about the king tides that happen in Honolulu and in Miami, which temporary flood downtown areas. And you can have a picture of that published as though it's permanent sea level rise. But legitimate, legitimate change has yet to occur. It remains model projections. And they haven't been right. Paul Ehrlich's models on what would happen if the world population became half what it is today. You realize there was going to be mass starvation. And this guy's still a guru. He still is a golden source. He's never been right. These models haven't been right. So this 
this shutdown, it has, I'm telling you, it has ripped my heart out. Because of the effect that it's having on, on, on the people of this country who are just powerless in the face of their government. They have to trust it. They have to trust that what they're being told to do is for their own benefit. And this, well, a permanent shutdown is certainly undoable. I mean, that there's, there's, there's no solution in the midst of a shutdown. Otherwise, we'd shut down permanently. If shutdowns were the way to go, if shutdowns were the way to never die, if shutdowns were the word, the word, were the way to. Uh, eliminate risk in life, then we would be living in permanent shutdown. And of course, we're not. Hang on. I gotta take another break here. Don't go away. Okay, the Conrad Black piece. Ah, many of you thought I wasn't gonna be able to get it in. By the way, I got a couple emails. Hey, look, if I can go have sex with a stranger, if Dr. Fauci says that's okay, then I can sure as hell go sit on the beach with some people. Anyway, uh, Conrad Black, writing in American Greatness. Political elite plays its last card. He believes the Democrat Party is imploding, that they're a bunch of incompetence, and yeah, you have to be wary of them. They're the opposition, but they're not invincible, and they're not running a show, and they're not going to outsmart Donald Trump. Donald Trump is fearless. He's not frightened by these people. And there's no reason to act that way. He writes, Then the coronavirus miraculously appeared just when all hope for the Democrats seemed lost. The Democrats lunged to seize their last best chance. They accused the president of responding to the virus frivolously. But he shaped up quickly. He got ahead of the play by shutting down flights from China January 31st. Then, the Democrats and their abettors in the press accused Trump of ignoring science, which was quickly aggregated up to an allegation of being an anti-science know-nothing. He dodged that one by setting up a task force, officially led by the vice president, packed with unquestionable experts in the relevant fields of public health administration infectious diseases. There was a general consensus for a drastic shutdown to break the momentum of the pandemic to flatten the curve. The Democrats and their media partisans whipped up a state of panic and conjured a virtual Old Testament plague that mortally threatened everybody. The media and public hysteria were such that the president had to put himself at the end of the scientists, put at the head of the scientists, allow the wild statistical modeling that forecast horrifying numbers of fatalities to grip the nation, shut the country down, and then as the virus responded to the draconian measures taken to slow it, Take the credit for containing the illness. The Democrats then demanded a prolonged shutdown to assure an economic depression that would destroy the president's greatest reelection argument, prosperity, which his policies had generated. But the United States has 700 people unemployed by the response to the coronavirus for every fatality it has caused. 18 million newly unemployed as of Wednesday. The average age of the deceased is almost 80. The unemployed are people in their prime, many with young families. Trump and his Treasury Secretary stole the Democrats' thunder with a liquidity pack. He goes on to talk about how every effort the Democrats have made to undermine Trump, he has turned the tables on them and will continue to do so that they are imploding and are a hapless bunch of people that pose the greatest threat to the country, not Trump. 
I don't think there's anything a Democrat's going to throw at Trump to get him off course. He's used to it. He knows what they're capable of. He's re- he has he has beat them back everything they have thrown at him, and he'll beat this back. Have a great weekend. See. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to the Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans, heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country, heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. He sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber, the complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye, and he needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave Major Turnbull a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. He moves around his home more easily now. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes, our nation's severely injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. If you've got a military, first responder, emergency medical, or government service background, GovX.com is for you. You stepped up to serve our country and communities, and GovX delivers unbeatable deals that you've earned. GovX.com is the only site built exclusively to honor your service. Members save on epic brands and the gear they need for their on- and off-duty lives. You'll get incredible savings on tickets to live sports events, theme parks, and other entertainment. You can even save on travel, hotels, rental cars, cruises, and more. See if you qualify. Visit GovX.com. It's easy and totally free. Use code CLAY in the shopping cart to get an extra $15 off your first order. GovX, savings for those who serve. Pure Talk, the cell phone service my family relies on, is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Unlimited talk, text, plenty of 5G data for just $20 a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Go to puretalk.com slash clay and make the switch today. That's puretalk.com slash clay and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Switch to Pure Talk so you can have more money to travel with this summer.